five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Podcast on the internet. Right. Some uh, 38 special. I guess we're on a Southern rock thing now. I played Southern rock two days in a row and the connection there between 38 special and Leonard Skinner is of course, move closer to the, uh, this is this damn crown that Jasper's has, uh, basically taken over uh johnny van zandt who's ronnie van zandt's brother and uh, johnny van zandt is in 38 special and i guess he moved into leonard skinner when uh ronnie van zandt died eventually migrated over there took his brother's place in the band they kind of look alike and they wear the same hat it's a little it's a little odd a little, little strange but I guess that's what a what a good brother does. You know, they uh, they take over the family business, I suppose. Although one could make a case that uh, Johnny Van Zandt had his own family business. I love that song, by the way. It's kind of borderline Southern Fried Yacht. That's what I think. And uh, I always I've always dug the uh, the hooks and the melody and even the message. It's like, hey, baby, I'm just, hold, I'm just gonna hold on loosely. Because I know if I just I clench onto you too tight, I'll suffocate our fucking relationship. And I know well enough to have a little bit of space between you and I. But I'm not going to let go of your ass. Oh, no. I got a long, longer leash than most is really what that song is saying. Anyway, a little 38 special. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, I was driving back very late last night from the airport. I didn't get in till uh, 1, 1 a.m. And so I didn't really, I didn't get to sleep till about almost four in the morning. I think about 3.45. So it was an early morning around these parts for the Astro weather and uh, doing the show. It was, it was crazy coming back last night. It felt like it was in a video game and the video game was Dodge the Deer. That was the game, Dodge the Deer. And you got points for every deer that you missed on the road. And I racked up a few points last night. It was, it was one of those moments where it gets your attention, really gets your attention, like, whoa. And all of a sudden, you look in the side of the road, and they're just all there hanging out. You know, for the last uh, like quarter of the journey, it was definitely eyes on the road, hands on the wheel, and approach reasonable speeds so i i managed to dodge the deer last night which was good and uh 
here we are. Welcome. Welcome to the show. Uh, welcome to the 5th of April. Of course, the fourth momentous yesterday, Donald Trump indicted. What a fucking clown show. I'm sorry. I'm just going to, I'm going to, whatever you think of partisan politics and the red and the blue and, you know, the left and the right, we all know that, right? We, we, you know, we can, we can rise above it. We can rise above it and look down because there's a lot more going on in the world, but we know that. You know, we've had, I think, getting close to 10 train derailments. You know, one of the things that's interesting about these train derailments is the shutdown of these pipelines. And the Biden administration decided we're going to move a lot of petroleum and petroleum-based products. Now, you're not going to get the petroleum-based products through these pipelines, but you will get petroleum through the pipelines. I, I would not be surprised if we have another train crash that will involve oil. That is a, that's a given. That's a given. And it'll probably one of these be one of these disasters that will will push the 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 ball forward for electric cars. I'm on the record. We're gonna have an oil, we're gonna have a train oil disaster because they decided no, we're gonna we're gonna shut down that pipeline. We're gonna shut down that keystone pipeline. Yeah, we still have pipelines here in Texas. They haven't shut those down. Just the the ones that uh, provided a shit ton of jobs and would facilitate the transport of oil and products, visa, trucks, and rail from Canada, which is, of course, where that, uh, that pipeline moves through. So anyway, um, it's good to be back, but we're going to go through the shit show today a little bit. A little bit. We got to read because we didn't really talk about uh, the um, the presser done by Alvin Bragg. It's, it's just, you know, this is part of the the soft gulag word now, which is the theme of the day. You know, the whole idea of these gulags in Siberia. By the way, I knew a guy that was in a gulag. I knew more than one guy that was in a gulag. They're friends of the family. They're interesting. Like they got shipped out of there because they were they were political dissidents in Russia, and uh, the Gulag was near Harbin, which is kind of uh, you're entering sort of Chinese territory in Harbin. Um, it was near Harbin, so yeah, those Gulags rough ass life, very difficult, physically taxing. I mean, just the, the the brutality of the climate in and of itself, the freezing temperatures, the 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 manual labor in the freezing temperatures, the living conditions. Not great. Not great. You got out of a gulag, you probably had a, a huge appreciation for life. You know, we don't have that yet. What we do have is a soft glue log, and we have a harsh psychological, psychic, and emotional conditions. And they're getting 
they're getting harsher. They're they're not they're they're not really easing up, right? So, you know, we're we're more enchained by the the prisons or the bars of our experience to some extent, right? I mean, ultimately, that's not who you are. You're you're ultimately that is not you. That is not me, right? We are we are more than that representation of our experience. But it is a big part of our collective experience. And, and as a result of that, we run into it. We have to deal with it, whether it's directly or indirectly through other people. And when I was in California, I saw way more people in masks in California. Like when I got on the plane yesterday, um, the people in front of me in line to board and the people behind me in line to board, they were both couples, but different couples. One was kind of a more traditional, and I use the word traditional loosely here, couple. Um, and they were wearing masks. And, and uh, I guess they were sort of millennial age. And I just, I, I looked at these people and I, I just, I, again, I'm not here to, to, you know, cast aspersion or judgment upon, you know, two particular people, but I realized I'm living on a different planet than these two people. And it wasn't just the mask. I mean, you, you've been in the game long enough to understand how your, your body is a biosensor of immense intelligence. Like you're getting, we're getting signals all the time from our environment. And they can be very simple signals like, you know, fight or flight, or they can be more complex signals when you're in the field of other people. And so we have we, we we have the ability to tap into that and to try to understand that, what the information that we're getting back. And then we have to run it through a system where, you know, are we, you know, irrationally judgmental? Because judgment does play a role in how we navigate through the world judgment and the critical nature the moon is in virgo we can talk about it the critical nature is important it, it helps us discern where we're going to put our energy and and uh what we're going to uh, do with it and who we're going to do it with it's a critical function of being in the world if you have a lack of discernment, you run into um, becoming a fool. And there are some interesting examples of being a fool. There are interesting examples. Uh, you know, if the fool persists in his folly, he would become wise. I mean, that is that is a an aphorism by William Blake, a proverb from hell. And there's some truth to that. You know, the, the, the fool can ultimately put itself into a position where it learns from its its mistakes and go, oh, yeah, right? And we have versions of the fool in our, our, our society that help us deal with the externalization of that process. I was watching the, uh, I was watching the Three Stooges the other night. I hadn't seen the Three Stooges in years. Can I just say how fucking funny the Three Stooges are? I mean, 
the, chor- the choreography of, of their, of their violence is, was hilarious. And when I was a kid, I watched a lot of three stooges. Maybe, maybe that says something. It says a lot about me, but they're fools. Right. And even when they run the credits at the end, you see the, the, the two masks of, of, uh, pathos and what's the other one where we're smiling tragedy and comedy like those are those are the two symbols at the end of the uh three stooges so yeah the fool performs a function and a role um but most of us are not paid fools so we we have to use discernment in our lives and that's where the judgment criticism plays comes in. And so it's a really interesting dance when we go down that path. And um, yeah, we pick up information from our environment. And if we're not listening to that information or we're not uh, processing it, synthesizing it into our experience, then we're the fools and not always in a uh, really positive sense of the word. What do you want? What do you want, Peachy? She wants to be on this show so bad. She just doesn't know how to do it. So I'm standing in line, and I realize I'm on another planet. I'm on another planet, and these people are not on the same planet. I mean, technically speaking, we are, but we're not. They were they were wearing masks, and uh, it's not uncommon to see more people in California, but the put the face diaper on still. But it was more than the mass. I could just tell, like, we're not, we're not, in, we're not from the same world. And I'm not, I'm not saying it's better or worse. It was just a notice. And then behind me, I had uh, an Asian woman and her, her looks like probably her mother. And they're both wearing masks. And I can tell you right now, we're not from the same world. I mean, I mean, that, you know, so we have kind of a cultural difference behind me. And then we have kind of a more energetic generational difference in front of me. It was, it was, it was weird. It was like, wow, this is a surreality sandwich that I'm in. Now the, the women behind me, the, the, uh, the mother and the grandmother had two daughters. The one had these two daughters. They may have been twins or they may have been about a year apart. They were adorable. They were singing and dancing when they sang together. They had beautiful voices. It must have been like eight, seven, eight years old. Thank God they weren't wearing masks. I was in the same world as they were. I, that, that's who I was noticing. I mean, on a, on a more significant level, that's who I was noticing. I was noticing their joy. They were skipping around. They were, they, they were singing. I don't know what song they were singing. might have been a pop song. They knew the words. That was important. They knew the song they were singing. They were harmonizing. I'm like, wow, these little girls are interesting. They're interesting. Um, they were they were the most interesting part of the line experience. So anyway, a lot of people in masks in California, and that's kind of a symbol of the soft gulag. You know, we were placed in the soft gulag in 2020. That's when it all started, and we're still we're still there. We are still there, and. You know, can it go? Can it go like into a hard gulag situation? Uh, quite possibly. There's a there's a little video about the reset that's uh, kind of making the rounds. 
and I'm sure some of you have seen it's an animated short and um, it's hard to watch, but it's, it's really well done. And the uh, storytelling and how the, uh, they, they sort of craft the relationship between, you know, the animated uh, protagonist and his, uh, his girlfriend, you know, they have these little vignettes where, they're camping together. They're on a vacation together somewhere on a beach and like they're enjoying one another's company. And then all of a sudden COVID hits and he's trying to tell her about this thing and not to, you know, not to, uh, not to take the communion, the unholy communion. And they get into a fight and their world separate. And then she eventually leaves him. And it's really sad. I mean, it's just it's a little animated short, but it's a really poignant and emotional animated short. And eventually they uh, round people up, put them in buses, and that's where they take them. They take them to the resettlement gulags where they get woke cola. <laughs> it's really well done. And our protagonist, with the overly large cranium uh, winds up ultimately, ultimately uh, for a brief moment in time, defeating the system. So um, if you haven't seen it, it's worth, it's, I think uh, beyond the reset. That's what it's called. If I'm not mistaken, it's a, it's really worth watching, but we're, a soft, we're, we're in a soft gulag now and we're not dealing with the physical extremities or the physical extremes, rather, not extremities. The physical extremes, we're dealing with the psychic and emotional and spiritual extremes in our lives, the, you know, the torture story. And they, they have deployed the uh, non-binary army now. They have been fully deployed. And that's part of it. That's part of the, that's part of the torture, right? I was going to talk about uh, Dylan Mulvaney yesterday. I'll probably do it today. I'll do it today. We'll get into that a little bit. Um, but we are going to revisit this whole thing with Alvin Bragg and maybe take a bit of a closer look at Alvin Bragg, even though the uh, information that we're dealing with is available to most people. I haven't had a lot of time to really climb down the rabbit brag. Alvin Bragg rabbit hole, uh, but I'm sure I could. And there's a chance that I probably will just to see what I can find tomorrow. I'm going to do a bit of a different show. I'm going to step away a little bit from the current stuff, but I feel like it's important to kind of circle back and just, you know, recap the Trump thing a little bit, but I'm going to do a bit of a different show tomorrow. And I was watching a movie for about the fifth time in California. And I didn't, I didn't want to watch the movie because I'd seen it so many times. And as a movie, honestly, um, it's iconic, but I also think it's overrated. And I saw this movie with new eyes. And I said to myself, holy shit. This is 1960 when the movie came out, the year that I was born. And there is 
some deep social programming in that movie. A movie you would not think that it would exist. And really what it is, it's like a, a very uh, kind of macho effort that is basically a disguise for a much, well, I would call it deeper. I would call it deeper, but there is a theme in the movie that is being occluded from people. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I couldn't do it today because I wanted to finish up with Trump and what happened yesterday in the brag thing. Um, and it takes a little bit of preparation for me to go through the movie and show you various scenes of the movie and what I'm talking about. And, and my instincts it hit me right here, right there, that silver bullet, right to the third eye, the diamond bullet. And so I had the insight, and then I then I went down the rabbit hole, and like whoever wrote this movie was a communist motherfucker. And I and I and I dove into it. And sure enough, sure enough. It did not disappoint. So that's the tease for tomorrow. It'll be more of a kind of a look back. And with this um, idea that we've been programmed for quite a long time. I mean, this came up during the Friday forecast with Russ. And we've been programmed for quite a long time. And there are variations of the program. And I'm and again, tomorrow I'll show you a movie that will, it's all about programming and you'll, you'll be blown away when you see what I'm talking about. So that's a tease for tomorrow, but today we're going to wrap up the Trump piece and this idea that we're in this soft gulag. Now this post revolutionary purple revolution, America, you know, where there, there was a coup in 2020. Make no mistake about it. There was a coup in 2020. And you sat at home. I sat at home and watched it on TV. I watched America burn. I watched statues topple. That was a coup, boys and girls. And we've been living in a post-coup America ever since. And what hap <clears throat> happened during that time in concert with COVID-2020 helped create the conditions for the 2020 election which is another variation of the coup, right? It was like, oh, we'll, we'll vote them out. We'll vote them out. And that didn't happen. All right, let me, uh, let me get into Chattaria. Let's see how you guys are doing. Oh, man, you know what? This fucking... I had a challenge today with... Um, Rumble. I had a challenge today with Rumble, and I and I was kind of struggling to get the, uh, uh, the streamer stuff lined up, and as a result of that, I had to reconfigure the actual stream through Boxcast, and I can't see the chat, so I apologize for that. I would say. Cut me a little slack because I'm running on about four and a half hours sleep, but I won't. But I guess I just did. 
You know, one of the things I also have to say about California is just do this. Um, I actually experienced some very nice people in California. Like my, aside from the fact that they're way more masked up than where I live here, my interactions with people there were really positive. Like I didn't really run into any assholes, honestly. And, you know, aside from, aside from the fact that they were masked up, it was a lot of the people I ran into were really cool. Even my, my Lyft driver, when I, I left, uh, went to the airport, really interesting guy who played, uh, played on the practice squad at St. John's basketball, moved to California, got a degree in business administration, was working in a, a firm in Silicon Valley and was, you know, up and to the right, right. Just major trajectory. And he decided that he was going to branch out on his own and start his own business. And then the crash happened and he found himself uh, without financial backing and kind of living life without a net. And this is a really sharp guy. And now he's driving Lyft. And, you know, we had a really interesting conversation about, you know, you know, I asked him, so what are you learning from this experience? And, and, you know, we, we talked about how he's being tempered. And, um, and I said, uh, you never know, man, you never know if had you stayed at the firm, right? You don't know what would have happened. You know, I mean, maybe your life would have just been made in the shade, you know, kind of more up and to the right, but that didn't, that didn't occur, but it, it's like, there's parts of our lives that are unlived. And we don't know what those parts are or what that expression of ourselves on a particular timeline would be like. A lot of times we think we're missing out on something. Sometimes that's that's the case. But in other times, we just don't know. We don't know. Like, I don't know if that dude, if he continued to go to that, that uh, particular job, one day, you know, something happens on the highway and boom, you know. Out go the lights. I mean, I we don't know these things. We don't know about the lives that are parts of our lives that are unlived. We we can't know in a lot of ways. But I think we can factor in that there could be things that might have happened down a particular path, one that we thought was going to be our 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 golden ticket that might've occurred that we, we can't really understand or, or see because for whatever reason, those things didn't happen. And, but he was really cool with the whole thing. And he's, you know, and I said, uh, you know, eventually you'll come out of this and you'll, you know, you'll be stronger. You'll be better. And he said, you know, I'm all about self-awareness. And if I hadn't had this year and a half off, I wouldn't have, found out more about who I am and how I can really get through. And cause this guy had, you know, he punched, he, you know, he checked a lot of boxes just in terms of higher ability and he stepped out of that. And uh, it, was, it was interesting, but he was super cool about the whole thing. I had a lot of really good experiences there with people. 
And, I, you know, I'd like to say the same about Texas. There are nice people. Don't, people, don't get me wrong. There are nice people in Texas. And the thing about Texas is that if you respect the people here, they will respect you. Like if you don't, if you're not an asshole in Texas, people won't be an asshole back. I mean, that is kind of the code here. And I appreciate that. But there is, there isn't that kind of coastal um, effusiveness and accessibility that does happen in California as a result of kind of being, you know, on that, that coastal break you know, that energy that comes in. It's not the same. It's just not the same. Um, and I know that there are shitheads in California. There are shitheads everywhere, but there are, you know, particular political shitheads. But, I, you know, I, I told the story the other day, you know, these people that were really kind enough to open their homes and uh, help my mother recuperate. They're, I mean, they're bleeding heart liberals bleeding heart liberals they got a black lives matter sign on their front yard and they live in the most you know upper middle class neighborhood in uh contra costa one of the most upper middle class neighborhoods in contra costa county and and on a cul-de-sac like who's going to drive by their house to see that it's a really interesting statement um and then they have a cadillac and then they have a chevy volt so that they can have their electric car. It's a really interesting dynamic, right? But they were uh, kind enough, really kind enough. It's just good people. But they really fit the the mold. They fit the brand of California. And I'm sure if we had a, a heated conversation about politics, it would be pretty tricky in a lot of ways. Somebody would get offended at some point, theoretically. Um, all right, let's get into chat. I apologize for the chat not being up. Let's see. Who do we have here? Mr. Key is here. Rocky's here. 69 TM, more Southern yacht. I know, right? It's kind of Southern yachty. Okay. I found an Alice Cooper song that is fucking yacht. I found it. I, I bought Alice Cooper's like greatest hits. And it's... It, Songs I hadn't heard for a long time, but I knew them, right? There's two. There's two in that greatest hits package that are totally yacht. I might play one tomorrow. Love this. Rev up the morning. Oh, cool. Fran likes it. Another day, another dollar. Hi, Kelly B. Wendy says is here. We got Fran. We got CC Jones. Fantastic one. Tamara is here. Hi, Tamara. Ahoy frequency signatures. Fellow frequency signatures. Equicentric. I love that. TJ, Tom's here. It got hot in Texas. Look, came back last night. It was muggy. It was muggy. Texas is a place where somebody could be uh, like a complete bitch or an asshole. But as long as they say, sir and ma'am, they get away with it. Kind of happened to me last night at the uh, airport. Uh, who else? We had Thor at the door. What's going on, Steve-O? Good to see you. The fireplace is burning. Man, it was 77 degrees when I landed last night. DJMC, what's going on, Brother Mike? Next time I'm out in California, I will catch you. 
Yay, Southern Rock, the South will rise again. Yes, it was brief. It was incandescent, but it was a glorious period. The Southern Rock period. I might play some more tomorrow. Maybe. I got to fi- find a place to play that Alice Cooper song. Alice Cooper's underrated. Uh, let's see. The band sometimes played with two drummers, too. Ooh, really? Who else played with Levon Hill? Who else was on drums? That's interesting. Sony's here. Hi, Sony. The band are Canadian. A lot of people don't realize that. That's a Canadian band. Although the one American influence is incredibly powerful in that band. Levon Helm. I love Levon Helm. Loved his voice. Loved his vibe. Love Levon Helm. But uh, that's a Canadian group. Back, Ronnie Hawkins and the Hawks. Uh, Who else do we have? Let's see. Unnerving driving with deer everywhere. Oh my God. It was, there's got to be a, if there isn't a deer driving video game, there has to be one. There has to be one. Although it might get really boring. You have to throw some other animals in there. Maybe you'd have to throw in like a, a stop at a weird gas station. All right, who else do we have? More fun on a motorcycle. Yeah. Rocky said, uh, I stopped going to concerts when you had to have a seat. God, the whole protocol for concerts just got. If you want to go to a concert now or a game, guess what you need? Right here. You have to have the app. You have to have the app so they can deliver the tickets. So you can have your little fucking Q code right here. Um, so it's more than just having seats. It's the golden handcuffs. Who else do we have here? Let's see. When he says, had a deer run right into the side of my vehicle driving down the highway. How does that have down uh, on the side of your vehicle? It, it can happen. It can happen. They think that they're making it across the line and they miscalculate it just a little bit. It does happen. Mostly it's head on, but uh, it does happen. Are you uh, Jasper Deer sighting? Yes, indeed. Thought of the moment, the whole problem with the world is that fools and fanatics are always so certain of themselves and wiser people are so full of doubts. It kind of gets back to the second coming, doesn't it? By Yates, the worst are filled with passion and intensity while the best lack all conviction. There's something in there with that. Uh, Let's see, who else do we have? Digital Amish. Oh, look at that. He brought up the second coming too. I didn't see that. Great minds think alike. We're on the same wavelength. The ceremony of innocence is drowned. The best lack of all conviction while the worst are full of passionate intensity. You're on it, Digital Amish. Right there. Do Hegel as the star of the day because he's had more influence on humanity than anyone. Uh, I would say you're, you're outside of Jesus Christ. You might be right. Hegel's a big influencer. 
he's the father of, of Gnosticism. In some ways, he's born August 27th. He's a Virgo. You'll have to wait till Virgo, Steve. Hold on loosely, but don't let go. We'll get there. Hegel's a very, uh, Hegel, Kant, Schopenhauer. Nietzsche gets a lot of his material from uh, Schopenhauer. All right, who else do we have? Anybody else? Uh, let's see. If people knew the realities of war, they wouldn't be so nonchalant. 100% agree. 100%. Hanging laundry's here. No, you're not late. You're good. I wouldn't know life without war. Well, we're born into conflict. You know, when you look at the when you look at the chart and you you create a rising sign, that rising sign, that house is related to Aries. And Aries is about conflict. We are born into conflict. All right, Chetaria, glad you're here. If I missed you, I apologize. Let's get on with the show because I've been talking a little bit. And uh, but I did did need to recognize you and uh, riff off of some of your comments, which I find very helpful, by the way. All right, let's um, let's take a look at uh, Alvin Bragg's statement a little bit here. Now, I I just have to do this to to break this down. It's it's kind of like an enema. Let's see. Let's see. Um, you think it would be easy. Oh, here it is right here. Is this the. All right. So I'm going to play this and. One of the things that I have a problem with. Just in, in general with this is the fact that he didn't just come out. And by the way, I don't think Alvin Bragg and Donald Trump are in cahoots together. I don't. I don't think Trump likes the guy. And it's clear that Alvin Bragg has a uh, ideological mission to fulfill, which I'm going to kind of get into a little bit. But one of the things that bothered me about the presser where he announces the indictment is the fact that he is polluting the entire process. Like he is trying and convicting Trump. Whatever you think of the game, whatever you think of the circus, He's trying and convicting Trump already. Like if I was Trump's lawyers, I would, I would file for a mistrial. Actually, what would have been the the the, you know, more appropriate or clean action? 
you have a very brief press conference. Man, my, my screen is glitchy today. You have a very brief, brief press conference. You announce the charges. Um, and you say, okay, I'm here to uh, take some questions while I'm here. And then that's it, right? You kind of announce it because you, you, you have to. I mean, that's his, part of his job, right? And then you move, but that's not what he does. No, 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 no. That's not what he does. What he does is he's already in the process of trying him in the court of public opinion. You say, well, this happens all the time. Yeah, but it shouldn't. It shouldn't. And honestly, I think the case is wobbly. Really, really, you know, you think, no, I know it's wobbly. It's just, it's another, it's another one of these bullshit three ring circuses that we've been drawn into since Trump was president. Now, remember, Trump is a Leo rising with Mars on the ascendant. He's going to be in conflict. That is the nature of Trump. But look at me, man. I'm glitching out. I'm in a Star Trek episode. I'm about to move into another dimension. Um, I mean, that's part of Trump's profile. It will, it's always been a part of Trump's profile. It will always be a part of Trump's profile until there's no Trump. And even after Trump, it'll still be a part of his part of his profile. The conflict, it, it will never go away. It will never go away. You think that at some point in time, at the ripe old age of 85 or whatever, and Trump succumbs to uh, this mortal coil like the rest of us ultimately will. It's like, okay, our work is done. No, it won't be. No, it won't be. They will turn Donald Trump into Hitler. If this version of our political reality is the one that, that continues to take hold, and we know that the, the victors are the ones that write history, Trump will be viewed as Hitler. This is how they will they will uh, portray him. And they will portray him as being the person who is responsible for the downfall of America. 100%. That's how the books will be written. And, you know, I I'm not saying this as a kind of a, you know, clarion call you know, to rise up and support Trump. Uh, because that's a little problematic at, at certain points. You know, ask the people who've been in jail in uh, D.C. since uh, 2021 how they feel about that. Problematic. But I don't think it's untrue. So he will still be the source of conflict even after he's gone, it will not end with his life. It will not end if they somehow manage to put him behind bars for 135 years, which is really what uh, all those trumped up charges. It's funny. My mother had a synchronicity yesterday. She used the word trumped up charges and some guy was on Fox and used it like seconds after she's a C C. So 
You want to come up here? Come on, join the party. I know you want to join the party. You just keep stalking. Yeah, who's who's yeah, we're, we'll talk about that later. So that's what they'll do with Trump. They they I mean, I've been thinking a lot about his impact. I remember a long time ago when I guess it was around 20, 2016, really I started to talk about Trump. And going into late 2016 and part of 2017, you, you know, I, th- I thought of Trump as being like the wicker man and that they were going to sacrificially or, or um, ritually, ritually burn him. You know, that he would be the image of everything that's associated with being white, you know, white privilege, fascist racist, sexist, homophobe, that he would be the guy, he'd be the wicker man. And that when they would finally, finally uh, reduce him to ceremonial ash, um, that it would be the, the symbolic removal, the symbolic sacrifice of like, a period, a historical period. European influence on the American culture, right? And that the new thing would come out of it. But it would be important to sacrifice Trump for those reasons. And here we are in the Holy Week, right? Sacrifice, the scapegoat. And um, it's all part of the discussion. He's a complex character, and the the story of Trump up until 2016 is you know it's it's a whole different narrative. You know, he's the, the kind of the playboy business guy, reality star, squanders his fortunes, gets bailed out by people. You know, always sort of the hint in the background that you know there's a little sleaze around him. Uh, but if you go back and watch some of the Larry King interviews from um, the eighties and the nineties, you know, he's talking about America. He's talking about trade. He's talking about how Americans are getting screwed over. I don't think those things are an act. I don't think he was, you know, laying the groundwork or, or paving the rail, you know, laying the rails for his bullet train to the presidency. I actually think it's part of who Trump is. I don't think that that is, out of his character or out of his, um, you know, out of his Kodak. I don't think that's the case. And I think he was ultimately able to build on that with his presidency or his run for the presidency. He was not inconsistent. Like you go back to a lot of the stuff that he talked about in the eighties and the nineties, he's been consistent with, but this is a, this is a whole different, uh, application of that. All right, let's watch a little, um, Alvin Bragg, this insuffer- insufferable blowhard. Uh, and we'll get into a little bit of his his background, but watch how he's essentially trying Trump real time in the court of public opinion. You know what he looks like here in this picture? He looks like somebody who's been bullied, doesn't he? He's he's got this look of the pudgy kid who got bullied. 
and was a bit of a nerd and uh, took a very different path and route. All right, let's play this some more. Earlier this afternoon, Donald Trump was arraigned on a New York Supreme Court indictment returned by a Manhattan grand jury on 34 felony counts of falsifying business records in the first degree. Under New York state law, it is a felony to falsify business records with intent to defraud and an intent to conceal another crime. That is exactly what this case is about. 34 false statements made to cover up other crimes. These are felony crimes in New York State, no matter who you are. We cannot and will not normalize serious criminal conduct. The defendant repeatedly made false statements on New York business records. He also caused others to make false statements. The defendant claimed that he was paying Michael Cohen for legal services performed in 2017. This simply was not true. And it was a false statement that the defendant made month after month in 2017. April, May, June, and so on. And so the rest on. of the year. For nine straight months, the defendant held documents in his hand containing this key lie that he was paying. Do you see this? Do you see do you see what's happening here? He's not just coming out. Right? He's not just coming out and saying that there are these uh indictments, 34 or whatever. And we have reason to believe that he's in violation of New York state law and we're looking forward to uh our day in court where we're going to hope where we're going to be able to uh prove this to the best of our ability and beyond a shadow of doubt to uh to a, to the judge and to the people of New York state that's all he has to say but oh no that's not where it stops and then he gets really I'm going to drop an f bomb here really fucking sanctimonious about what about New York and how important playing by the rules, financial order and how they take this thing so seriously in the great state of New York in the city of New York where of course these standards or the industry standard and everybody else abides by them to the letter of the law. There is only one miscreant. There's only one person who's taken advantage of this. And it's Donald John Trump. This guy has not tried anybody else for anything remotely related to any white collar crime since his fat ass has been in there. I'm sorry. I'm just going to, no, I'm not sorry. Since his fat ass has been, by the way, speaking of fat asses, man, I saw some 
look, if you're, if you're overweight in your life, you know, I'm not going to judge you to the best of my ability, but it's an observation. I've made it before America, it, America, you got a weight problem. You got a big weight problem. And, uh, it was, you ever have that moment on the plane, you're sitting down and there's an empty seat next to you. And all of a sudden you, you see the, the herd of hippos started to make their way down the center aisle in the plane or the only aisle of the plane. And you're, you're just, you're under your breath. You're just saying a, a bit of a very personal prayer that not one of them sits next to you. Because if one of them sits next to you, you're not getting just one. You're getting, you're getting a twofer. Sorry, I don't mean to be. I'm, I don't want to say, but hanging on with my mother too much. She says she's sorry all the fucking time. I'm trying to break her of that habit. Anyway, just an observation. America, you got a weight problem, big time. All right, let's see what uh, Heavy D. Let's see what Heavy D has to say. Hey, Michael Cohen for legal services performed in 2017. And he personally signed checks for payments to Michael Cohen for each of these nine months. In total, the grand jury found there were 34 documents with this critical false statement. Why did Donald Trump repeatedly make these false statements? The evidence will show that he did so to cover up crimes relating to the 2016 election. Donald Trump, executives at the publishing company American Media Incorporated, Mr. Cohen and others agreed in 2015 to a catch and kill scheme. That is a scheme to buy and suppress negative information to help Mr. Trump's chance of winning the election. And Nobody else in the history of running for president has ever gone down that aisle, has never gone down that dark alley, catch and kill. And I'm not even here to defend Trump. I'm here to, to point out this sanctimonious bullshit by clearly a political operative. Here we go. Let's play a little more of this blather. As part of this scheme, Donald Trump and others made three payments to people who claimed to have negative information about Mr. Trump. To make these payments, they set up shell companies and they made yet more false statements, including, for example, in AMI, American Media Incorporated's business records. One of the three people that they paid to keep quiet was a woman named Stormy Daniels. Less than two weeks before the presidential election, Michael Cohen wired $130,000 to Stormy Daniels' lawyer. That payment was to hide damaging information from the voting public. The participant scheme was illegal. The scheme violated New York election law, which makes it a crime to conspire to promote a candidacy by unlawful means. The $130,000 wire payment exceeded the federal campaign contribution cap. And the false statements in AMI's books violated New York law. That is why Mr. Trump made false statements 
about its payments to Mr. Cohen. He cannot simply say that the payments were a reimbursement. He's trying the guy already. Like, he knows he doesn't have a case. He knows he doesn't have a case. Even though this judge wants Trump back in by December, they, you know, they, this is like um, this is like a halal diet, right? They're bleeding him out. And so what he's doing is he's getting in as many shots as he can in this moment in time so that he can, of course, stoke the fires, be divisive, you know, play this sanctimonious bullshit role. And again, just put anybody else in here besides Trump. I'd say the same thing. I'd say the same thing. He knows he doesn't have a case. That's why he's going down this path. He's trying to get as many rabbit punches in as possible. Here we go. Let's more. Here's some more. For Mr. Cohen's payments to Sandy, to Stormy Daniels. To Sandy so, Hook? To make that true statement would have been to admit a crime. So instead, Mr. Trump said that he was paying Mr. Cohen for fictitious legal services in 2017 to cover up actual crime committed the prior year. And in order to get Michael Cohen his money back, they planned one last false statement. In order to complete the scheme, they planned to mischaracterize the repayments to Mr. Cohen as income to the New York State tax authorities. The conduct I just described uh, and that which was charged by the grand jury is felony criminal conduct in New York State. True and accurate business records are important everywhere, to be sure. They are all the more important in Manhattan, oh, yeah. the financial center of the world. That is why we have a history in the Manhattan DA's office of vigorously enforcing white-collar crime. Yeah, right. My office, including the talented prosecutors you saw at arraignment earlier today, has charged hundreds of felony falsifying business records. This charge, it can be said, is the bread and butter of our white-collar work. Yeah, right. Okay, the bread and butter of our white-collar work. All right, so I wanted to show you that part because um, he's making a moral stand for the city and state of New York because if this is allowed to continue, it will corrupt the very fabric of New York's ability to transact as one of the financial centers of the world. White, a white-collar crime just happened in New York. And another one just happened. And another one just happened. It's happening all the fucking time. So we know he's cherry-picking. And uh, he's just trying to get in um, some punches because I, I, there's, I, it's a ridiculous case. Now, some of you have already probably gone down this path here, but this is just a brief Wikipedia look at uh, Alvin Bragg.
So he was born in New York City, October 21st, 1973. Uh, he hailed from Harlem and grew up in, on Strivers Row. In an interview with the American Prospect, Bragg said he'd been deeply affected by the criminal justice system, most directly through three gunpoint stops by the NYPD. He graduated from the Trinity School before attending Harvard College. He graduated from Harvard with a Bachelor of Arts cum laude in government in 1995. In 1999, he earned a Juris Doctor from the Harvard Law School, where he was an editor of the Harvard Civil Rights Civil Liberties Law Review. Who does that remind you of? The guy that he eventually works for. Bragg clerked with Federal District Judge Robert P. Patterson Jr. before he joined the law firm of Morvillo Abramowitz. Grand, Iason, and Anello as an associate, where his work focused on white-collar fraud and civil rights issues. In 2003, he joined the office of the Attorney General of New York under Elliot Spitzer. And Spitzer was one of these guys that, that uh, definitely went after people, which got him in trouble. Uh, and he wound up having to jump ship because of his uh, less than clean personal life. He was having an affair. Uh, before becoming chief of litigation and investigations for the New York City Council, in 2009, Bragg left the city council to serve as an assistant United States attorney in the Southern District of New York. So 2009 is when Barack Obama becomes president. In 2017, Eric Schneiderman, then the serving attorney, uh, serving as attorney general, appointed Bragg, chief deputy attorney general of New York. Bragg ran the criminal justice and social justice divisions overseeing lawsuits brought by the state against Donald J. Trump, Harvey Weinstein and the Weinstein Corporation, Weinstein, and the addition of a citizenship question under the 2020 United States Census. He left the position in 2018 of December uh, and became professor at the New York Law School, where he was co-director of the Racial Justice Project. Bragg is a member of the Board of Directors for the Legal Aid Society. He uh, has represented the families of Marley Graham and Eric Garner in civil litigation against the uh, city of New York. In June 2019, Bragg started his candidacy for the 2021 Democratic Party nomination for the New York County District Attorney, then held by Cyrus Vance Jr., the guy who declined to press charges against Trump, who did not run for re-election. Following the June 2022-2021 Democratic primary, Bragg led the reported vote count and tally for Hadi and Weinstein. It's a lot. Uh, conceded to the primary See the primary to Bragg on July 2nd. On November 2nd, 2021, Bragg defeated Republican Thomas Kenneth in the general election, became the first African-American to be elected New York County District Attorney. Bragg was sworn into office on January 1st, 2022. So when he got in, one of the things that he did right out of the gate was after three days in office, he announced that his office would no longer prosecute Low-level offenses such as fair evasion, resisting arrest. Resisting arrest is a low-level offense. 
That's interesting. Prostitution and cannabis-related misdemeanors accompanied by, unless accompanied by a felony charge. So if, you, if you're getting high, you're not going to be busted for weed. I really don't have a problem with that. Like it's a, it's a waste of taxpayers' dollars uh, to get them into the system for weed. Um, I'm less forgiving about fare evasion, though. Far less forgiving about that. Why pay a fucking fare? Just get rid of the turnstiles. You know, you have the good citizens of New York who pay their way, and then you have the fair jumpers. I'm not going to prosecute them. Prostitution, whatever, it's the oldest profession in the world. He also decided to seek lesser charges for burglaries and store robberies, where the offender displays a dangerous instrument but does not create a genuine risk of physical harm. So the whole idea here is that you can brandish a gun which is a dangerous instrument, probably the most dangerous, although I'm sure, uh, you know, the candelabra in the study with Colonel Mustard could be dangerous. But um, as long as you don't present a threat. Yes, when I, when I robbed that grocery store, you can see in the videotape that my finger was not on the trigger. I was practicing really self-aware trigger restraint. I was really not presenting a dangerous situation. Now, I will say the safety was off because if the shopkeeper had a gun, I'd have to defend myself. It would be insane to have the safety off. In that situation, where I have to defend myself against a shopkeeper with a gun, I, I need that gun. But look at my trigger control. I mean, that's how insane it could get. Does not create a genuine risk. Of phys- Who determines what a genuine risk is? On January 20th, Bragg disputed what he described was a legalistic interpretation of his prosecution policy memo and indicated that he supported a zero-tolerance policy for violent crimes. Uh, There's the whole Donald Trump prosecution thing, which we've covered. So the Jose, so he's also going after Steve Bannon, too. That happened in September 6th. The Jose Alba thing is interesting. You know, Jose Alba was the guy who owned the bodega. And this dude was going to stab him. There's a videotape, and Jose Alba basically says, uh, yeah, you ain't stabbing me, brother. Who's stabbing who? July 7th, 2022, Jose Alba, a bodega clerk, was attacked. He was more than a clerk. It was a little business. Was attacked by a customer in a dispute over a bag of potato chips. He was taking the potato chips because his girlfriend didn't have enough money to get the potato chips. Alba attempted to de-escalate, but after being shoved into a wall, defended himself with a knife, killing the assailant. Bragg, in his prosecutorial discretion, decided to charge Alba and requested bail at $500,000. The judge said it at 250000 
the dead attacker's girlfriend also stabbed Alba with her own knife after attempting to turn Alba's knife back on him. Bragg declined to charge her. After intense backlash, Bragg ultimately decided to drop the charges against Alba, noting that a homicide case against Alba could not be proven at trial beyond a reasonable doubt. Well, why the fuck did you charge him? This is where this guy is coming from. Bragg married Jamila Marie Ponton in 2003. They have two children. Bragg at one time taught Sunday school at the Abyssinian Baptist Church. The guy's a commie. He's a commie. Now, he may not describe himself as such. He's a commie. You know, the communists like to talk about, well, you know, we're here for social change. We're here for the little guy. We're here to stand up for the little guy. Yeah, that was their talking points back in the day. They were, they were, they were if you were communist in the U.S. in the 50s and the 60s, and you, and you were part of CPUSA and, you know, all the different cells that went along with it, you were always told never to talk about communism. Never. That, that your uh, ideals and your morals were aligned with the little guy. And, uh, you know, you wanted to stand up for a more humane and a, a more progressive uh, version of democracy. And I guess we'd use the word inclusive, although I'm not sure they used it back then. So he's not going to come right out and tell you what he's doing. This, this is this is who this guy is. And they're everywhere. They're everywhere. He's just another version of you know the uh, the placement. And there's other versions of Alvin Bragg that are even more extreme than Alvin Bragg. I was talking with a, a friend we all have in common, and he was telling me that a, that a buddy of his actually applied for a FEMA job. And the person that he had the interview with uh, at FEMA, so this is a person who's in a supervisorial role, was trans. So he's having an interview with a trans person at FEMA. And can you see where this is going? It, it, it starts with, you know, the soft coup, although it wasn't really a very soft coup in 20, but it starts there, right? And then in come the replacements. And the replacements have been around for a while. I mean, when, when Obama was president, they started that infiltration process. And it's continued through Biden. But the model of the replacements uh, the the new model of the pod people is very different than uh, Mr. Bragg. Very different. It's more like Dylan Mulvaney than uh, Prosecutor Alvin Bragg. If you know what I'm saying. And that just brings up a completely bizarre model of reality really bizarre 
And what's interesting too is that for the last couple of decades, really since 2009, this is when Alvin Bragg sort of, I think, worked directly for Obama because uh, he was placed there. I mean, this is what presidents do, right? They say, you're a judge here and you're a judge here. And, you're, and that's what Obama did for uh, Alvin Bragg. He got him into the Southern District of New York. And Alvin Bragg fits a profile. Um, London Breed, the mayor of San Francisco, fits a profile. That profile is changing. Uh, Muriel Bowser, the mayor of D.C., fits the profile. That profile is changing. And it's going to get uh, way more diverse, if you know what I'm talking about. That'll be an interesting kind of shotgun marriage in the administrative worlds at that level. Because you have this kind of old guard, you know, represented by Alvin Bragg and some of the other people I talked about. And then you have the new guard who are very, very different. And uh, that's taking place. And that's what we deal with. We're, and when you step, step back and you notice these things, and you look at it and you go, oh, fuck, you know, this it's becoming, it's beyond the clown show. It's really beyond the clown show. I mean, if you're really wide awake and aware and you see what's going on and you open your biocircuitry to that, you are in the soft gulag. You are, 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 are being run through the psychological torture mill if you're paying attention. You know, can it become a hard gulag? Absolutely. It's always, that's always a potential part of the future. And I said potential. I didn't say an absolute. All right, I'm out of here. And uh, I have to remind myself sometimes to kind of leave on a positive note. And, um, and I'll do my best to do that today. When you see somebody like Alvin Bragg come out, and try to make his case in front of the public like that. And if you can kind of step back from this whole kind of duopoly, the two-party system, Donald Trump and being persecuted, and just look at what the guy's talking about, it's a big, fat, fucking nothing burger. It's a big nothing burger, just like Alvin Bragg. He's a nothing burger. And they're doing everything in their power to cast a spell on people. And we're just here to break the spell. That's what we're here to do. And this is, this is not in service or support of Trump. It's in the service and support of breaking the spell. And uh, you have the power to do that every single day. And as you do that, what do you do? You affirm this idea that you are a sovereign entity on a spiritual level without filing all the paperwork and reclaiming your name. Not to say that that's not important. If you can do it, more power to you. All right, I'm out of here. We'll be back tomorrow. Um, I think we've kind of covered this now. 
and uncovered it to the best of our ability. Tomorrow, a little more evergreen content. I'll take you on a bit of a journey and a surprise one. Take good care. Use your head in order to discern what's real, your heart to step what's possible. And don't forget True Ham Science. It's a great product. And if you want to uh, get uh, some free product thrown in, if you go to truehamscience.com, use 15MINS when you check out and spend $100 more and you'll get that free product. $150 gets you free shipping. Take care for now.